This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 301. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. And today we're going to talk about whiskey clubs. Well, what's a whiskey club? We're going to find out in just a minute. But first, I just want to wish you all well and hope you're staying safe and sound and sane and all that uh, during these crazy times. So anyway, distractions from that. Let's talk about whiskey for a bit. Oh, and by the way, Hazel Elvarado, who helps me out on the show, joined on the call. So you might hear her pipe in here and there. Well, we're here with Peter Grasso. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing today, sir? Fantastic. Thanks, Brian. Good. So uh, you you began this club, right? The Mammoth Whiskey Club. Yeah, we began it. Uh, I began it in back in 2016 after going to uh, Scotland and visiting about a half a dozen distilleries. Uh, came back and tried to join a club here and found there was wasn't really anything in the area. Tell for anybody who doesn't know. Tell I mean I'm not even 100 percent clear, and I'm sure they're all different. But what my, what would you say is the definition of a whiskey club? Well, I mean, there's different kinds. I, I take it. I take it as we are a a club in the true sense of the fashion where we meet every month. We are it's a physical group, not a, you know, not a face, not that there's anything wrong with it. But we're not a Facebook group. We're not guys that just happen to get together online or whatever. We meet every single month uh, throughout the year, uh, have meetings, taste whiskey, brand ambassadors come in. We collect dues. It costs money to join the club. It costs money to come to meetings. Uh, therefore our members are, you know, I feel that they're, they're serious about it. They come to all the events. They've got money invested in it. Um, we're actually incorporated, uh, at this point. Uh, it's just a fun time and a fun way of bringing a good group of people together learning. And it's a social club, uh, but it's a tasting club as well. So, so when you get together, you'll have, you'll have whiskeys there, um, for everyone to taste to do a formal tasting each yes. time. Or? Yep. We actually try to support local businesses. So, uh, except for now, obviously we can't. But we'll meet at a restaurant or a local bar. We'll buy alcohol, you know, whatever we're tasting through them. We'll we'll notify them what we want. So if we're going and tasting Balvenie, we'll tell them we want the 12-year single barrel, the 15-year single barrel, and 21. They'll buy it. They'll sell it to us. Uh, Brand ambassadors will come in, uh, and then we'll have a a, usually about a two-hour meeting. But we'll buy, you know, we'll buy the alcohol, buy the food and stuff through through the local businesses. Oh, that's great. And so how long ago did you start this club? January 2016. So we're just coming up on five years, I guess. All right. So it was just uh, you were inspired by, I mean, I love whiskey too, but I was never inspired to start a whole club o- o- about it. So <laughs> well, what is it know, about whiskey that you like so much? It, it, it started as more of a social thing. You know, a bunch of guys got together. Uh, I thought about it when I came back and I tried to join to see what was around. I started researching things before going online, listening to some podcasts, listening to some YouTube channels, getting interested in it. Um, I like the people that I met overseas. And I've stayed in contact with a bunch of them uh, at various distilleries since 2016. When I came back here, we wanted to try to do something about it. We, we originally thought, you know, we'll just have half a dozen guys meet at someone's house and have a brand ambassador, you know, come and visit us or whatever. And, you know, quickly found out that, you know, brand ambassadors aren't really interested in coming and visit six people in someone's, you know, living room. And so we started expanding, growing the growing the club out and building relationship with restaurants and, and bars and stuff. All right. So was that your one and only trip to Scotland or have you been back since? No, I've been there a couple of times. I've been to Scotland and uh, Ireland a bunch of times. You can't see it, but just on the edge of my pictures up there is all the Glencon glasses from all the distilleries. So I've been up to probably about 20 or so. 2025 20, distilleries, believe it or not, not even in the United States, but mostly overseas. Huh. 
Have you have you been down to uh, Kentucky? And <laughs> not been there yet. Yeah. <laughs> My wife is looking at me like I'm crazy. You know, we'll travel to Scotland and Ireland easier than we'll travel to Kentucky. I guess. <laughs> That's funny. Do you read a lot of uh, whiskey books? Any any you recommend off the top of your head? We do. Um, I don't have it here, but the, uh, Robin Robinson was just on our on our Zoom uh, meeting uh, about two or three weeks ago. Uh, and I was just up. I was telling Hazel earlier today. I was. Oh, and I, I'm sorry. I was talking to someone else today earlier. I was up at Robin's house today. He was signing books for the club members. Uh, so yeah, with his uh, complete whiskey course is a uh, is a phenomenal book, especially for clubs and to get into and understanding all the aspects of it. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. He's a friend. He's a friend of ours. Yeah. I have to I have to yeah. get his book. I don't have it yet. <laughs> yeah. So. Out of curiosity, what was your first uh, whiskey, Peter? My first whiskey, that's how it, this all started. It was at one of the races. A friend of mine had it, and it was Glenn Livet, 25-year-old. Wow. wow <laughs> nice way to start the <laughs> nice yeah. way to start your, your whiskey tour. And, uh, yeah, so he, he, uh, my friend uh, Ernie Ostick, who was one of our founding members in the, in the club, started us off. He would do these once a year or so. Uh, I, got, I came into his, probably his last one that he had. Five years ago, uh, he had a bottle of Glenlivet 25. We all were tasting that. We were all enjoying that. And I happened to be going to England uh, that following August. And I decided, hey, I like that stuff. Let's, you know, what else are you going to do? We go to, to Scotland, Northern Ireland. I, I had I had already been to Edinburgh on a previous va- family vacation. So he said, let's, you know, go do some exploring. And uh, so naturally, Glenliver was one of the places we chose. And, and at that time, I didn't know much about the Scotch world or the whiskey world. So I was picking places randomly off the map as, you know, as our tour was going uh, and names that I had heard of, you know. And what else, you know, for a new beginner would be Glenliver, Glenfiddich, McAllen, you know, those are three. Yeah, for sure. So how, how's the club going now that you're uh, kind of stuck, everybody's stuck at home? <laughs> well, that was kind of an interesting thing. So... In the beginning of the year, I don't know if you all saw this issue of Whiskey Advocate that came out Mm-mm. about starting tasting clubs and, oh, and cool. about whiskey clubs. Uh, and we are one of, of, of about seven clubs in the country that were featured in it. There's a full page right up on our club, and it was really kind of cool. And we're in about three different articles in there, including a cocktail uh, article that's in there. I'm particularly interested in cocktails. A few weeks into this whole COVID-19 thing going on, we got contacted by one of the one of the uh, writers on Whiskey Advocate again, uh, asking, "Hey, what are you guys doing based around COVID nineteen? If, if you if you can't meet, and we hadn't been doing anything, we had just been, ret- you know, I was still at work, uh, so I called up a couple of members and said, "Would you guys? I mean, everybody's sort of home and, and doing their own things. Would you be interested in doing anything in particular? Maybe some sort of a you know FaceTime or group or Zoom or something and." We got a lot of really positive feedback really quickly. So we, sp- we, we spun it up. Uh, we have a couple of members of our club that are also brand ambassadors. I called them and said, hey, this was like a Monday. You know, can we do something this coming Saturday night? Uh, and we did. Uh, we've been doing it ever since. So is everybody procuring their own whiskey or uh, how's that working? For the most part, the brand, the distilleries have been providing us the stuff. Uh, We've been getting it in. We've been doing three or four tastings. We have these little tasting bottles. Uh, We fill them up here 
we are the Monmouth Whiskey Club, so it's Monmouth County. For those that may not know, it's Monmouth County, New Jersey. Most of the people live in Monmouth. They live within a half an hour drive or so of me. Oh, right. So they'll drive in. They'll pick up their taste, their bottles on Friday or Saturday morning. We'll have a tasting Saturday night, and they drop their bottles off, you know, Monday, Tuesday, the following week sterilize, you know, rinse, sterilize, and repeat. And for the most part, that's going, I mean, there's been a couple of distilleries that haven't been able to get us bottles uh, for tastings, in which case we'll go out and buy the bottles. Uh, Sometimes the club bought them. Sometimes the members will will, will charge out and then have people pay 10 bucks uh, for a couple of bottles. That sounds good. Yeah, it's, it's been a cha- it's a little challenging. It's a lot of work, <laughs> more so than I thought yeah, it was going to be. Not, um, I believe but, it. You know, we're holding it to about thirty people, which is two bottles. And you know, this event this weekend that we're getting four expressions. So you know, it's one hundred twenty sample bottles that we got to fill and distribute. Uh, so, so are you saying, Peter, that when you have a lot of people and you have to keep on washing things like glasses and whatnot, it's a lot of work? Because I think everybody in the, um, on like Brian's and the hospitality industry kind of understands that. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of <laughs> yeah. them. It's- yeah, I actually, um, not, not whiskey, but off the, the whiskey field from them. And I went to a, a bar that they did a, there's a two-year um Caparina, um, two dollar, two year Caparina. They like literally ran out of glasses <laughs> in order to keep up the demand. Like the poor bartender is making like six, seven, eight drinks at a time, and they're trying to wash all the the glasses. There. Yeah, it's yeah. you know it, it's well we are pretty organized with that kind of stuff. So we when we go into a restaurant wherever we go, we have our own glasses. I've got and they're in restaurant racks right here in my in my club mm-hmm. here. So we've got. So I think seven racks of Glen Carnes. So yeah. right. we'll bring them in. We'll roll them in. Listen, in, in, in New Jersey, I haven't I haven't hit a restaurant or a bar yet that probably knows what a Glen Carn is, let alone stocked with Glen Carn. Oh, no, don't say that. That can't be true. I'm sure there's <laughs> so, so any favorite uh, whiskey cocktails? You say you're I'm an old fashioned kind of person. I just love my old fashioned. So you know, as long as they're and as long right. as they're done right. I always have to ask, you know, is there any muddling involved or is there any soda water involved? <laughs> if, there, if it's yes to any of those questions, you know, pour me a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so true. Uh, Tazel, don't, tell me, don't tell me you muddle or you, <laughs> you don't muddle your oranges in there now, do you? She usually leaves it to the professionals, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I totally do. I, I, I will not name it, but I did have an old fashioned at a, at a steakhouse and it was very, it was like an old school kind of bartender. And, but it, it was like half an orange in my, I, I looked at, it, I was like, and a smashed up cherry. Right? I was literally like, it was, it, he literally like cut half an orange and just threw it in. And then just, I don't want to say it. I was like, okay, I'm just going to finish this. We're going to, you know, <laughs> just going to finish this and leave. <laughs> yeah. Brian um, has a twist on an old fashioned, right? Oh, nice. Yeah, I do a spiced maple old fashioned. So, I, I, yeah, I take some maple syrup. Uh, well, first I'll toast up some um, spices like all all spice and cloves and things in a pan, and then uh, add maple syrup to that, and then add some water, but then reduce it down so all those flavors get enhanced or um, and you know it sucks up all the flavors from the spices, and then uh, infused was the word I was looking for. And um, yeah, so I use that as the sweetener, just a you know just a not even a quarter ounce of that. 
uh, for two ounces of whiskey, along with uh, oh, okay. Fee Brothers Black Walnut Bitters. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll, I'll try different here at home. You know, I'll do, you know, I've got regular simple syrup, and I've got maple syrup, and I've got a whole bunch of different things. And I'll try it with different kinds of, of uh, whiskey. So I'll try, I'll use different types of syrup. If it's a straight, yeah. I'll use monkey shoulder and simple syrup. But if I'm using something that's like Laphroaig or something smoky, you know, you got to have a more of a defining syrup, something like a maple syrup or turbinado or something like that, a little bit, a little bit more flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. I love doing that kind of thing, just making the same exact thing, but like alter just one ingredient. I lo- yeah. I'd love to do that. <laughs> Taste them side by side. That's really fun. Yeah, see, both of you are re- like really great about that. I'm, I, I just I just sip <laughs> meat, and that's that's pretty oh, much it. <laughs> that's pretty much. I did try Brian's. Um, you know, oh, did you make one at home? Maple. <laughs> um, I did, but it, it didn't look pretty. So I, <laughs> I was just like, I'll just drink this in, in secret. <laughs> Peter, have you ever done a um, a blending seminar? That might be interesting for your group. Yeah, we did um, Glenfiddich with. Uh, with all the various bottles that you can't buy, you know, what, what goes into a Glenfiddich, uh, I think it was the Glenfiddich 15. So we, we did that, you know, blend your own, mixing it and making the Glenfiddich 15 if you, if you get the proportions right of the various bottles. That's yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did one once. They gave us a taste of a um, Johnny Walker and they wouldn't tell us which expression it was, you know, but they were like, this is, this is one of the one, you know, they wouldn't tell if it was, I think it turned out to be green, but whatever it was. And they were like, and here, and here's all the things that go into it. Now try to recreate yeah, that. Yeah, no. <laughs> it, was so, it was so yeah. hard, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that was the other thing you had to figure out how much water to put yeah, in. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that was, that's a lot of fun. No, it's, it's really interesting. That kind of thing. I, I once had the opportunity at a, at a bourbon distillery to taste, you know, in the Rick house right out of the barrel. Uh, we tasted the barrel on the bottom of the, and the barrel on the top. Uh, you know, they were laid down the same exact day. But, you know, obviously the one on the top is, is uh, it's hotter up there. And they tasted vastly different, you know. And so it's interesting to think how they how they can put out a um, consistent tasting product, you know, with all these variables. <laughs> that's that's, really that's, a, that's an expensive nose there and an expensive palate to, to keep that stuff going. Well, Peter, it was a pleasure to meet you. Nice meeting you all. If there's uh, anybody in your area that's interested in um, getting in touch with you, maybe joining up the club, or how can they uh, find out more about you? Sure. We have a, we have a website at mammothwhiskey.com, and it's whiskey with an E. Uh, we do have a public-facing page and a private group that, that you're part of, uh, a private group on the inside for members and to discuss things for the club, but a forward-facing, public-facing, we do have Mammoth Whiskey um, page on Facebook, as well as Instagram and Twitter and all the re- <laughs> all the, all the regular uh, social media outlets. Very good. Well, yeah, it was a Thank pleasure. You. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you very much. All right. Joining us now is Julia ritz Tofferly from Women Who Whiskey. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? And joining us also is Hazel, who's a member of Women Who Whiskey. Say hi, Hazel. Hi. Hey, Hazel. Good to see you. Yeah. So, Julia, why don't you tell us a little bit about Women Who Whiskey? Yeah. So, Women Who Whiskey is a women's whiskey club, as you can probably deduce from the name. It started off just as a group of friends getting together kind of around the frustration that we felt that women women were not really allowed in the whiskey space. Um, I, when I moved to New York in 2010, um, which was a long time ago, I definitely got the sense that I was an unusual patron for a lot of the whiskey bars that I enjoyed going to. And that was sometimes reinforced by the reaction that I was getting from either fellow patrons or men behind the bar. 
Um, and I found myself having a really similar experience with a lot of different people. And our common experiences sort of brought us together into this into this group of friends. And over the last 10 years, it has really grown into an international club where we do events and education. Um, and so it was sort of a happy accident, I would say. And I will admit that the environment we're in now is much different from the one 10 years ago. But yeah, so we do a little bit of everything. Events, education, community building, advocacy. And so it's broke up, broken up into a bunch of different chapters, right? Over yeah. 20 chapters, right? Yeah, we have over 25 chapters. It's sort of hard to put a specific number <laughs> on the map because we have new ones popping up every once in a while. And started off in New York with the New York chapter. And over time, as we sort of started to get a little bit more on social media, people from around the country reached out and said, this is this seems so great. Like, we would love to have something in my city. Um, and so I sort of set up a system where people could launch a chapter in their individual cities. Um, so we have over 25 now, give or take. New ones are popping up all the time. Um, sometimes a chapter president is no longer able to keep up with the chapter. So sometimes we send down them. But it's very organic and evolving. Cool. And you even have some international chapters, right? Yeah. So aside from the core U.S. chapters that we have, because we also have a number of smaller chapters that aren't as active in the same way. So for example, we have like a Western Mass chapter and a Central Mass chapter, and they're great. They do a lot of tiny community events, but it's more like a, almost more like a private club. The big chapters that are in the U.S. are like New York, L.A., Boston, Chicago, um, San Francisco, Bay Area, actually. But yeah, we do have some international chapters. We have a London chapter. Our first international chapter was actually in Nairobi. Um, I went to school for human rights. And so uh, I have a lot of friends who stayed in that industry, as did I. Um, and one of my friends moved to Nairobi for work and was really uh, you know, upset to leave women who whiskey behind and thought, what a great way to bring it there. Um, and she has since moved back to New York. And now she lives in Geneva, where we also have a chapter. Um, but that chapter has flourished. So it, you never know where it's going to take off. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, how did you get into whiskey in the first place? You know, everyone has a story about how they grew up like on their grandfather's knee, like smelling that glass of scotch in front of the fireplace. And that was definitely not my experience at all. Um, both of my parents are from Europe. My father's Italian and my mom's French. So I don't think we ever even had a bottle of whiskey in the house. We mostly drank wine or celebratory champagne sometimes, you know, like an aperitif or something, but um, I didn't really see whiskey around me until I went to college. Um, and I went to school in Montreal, which has a drinking age of 18. So college students, including incoming freshmen, are welcome in the bars and restaurants of Montreal, um, which actually opened up my eyes to the variety of things that you could drink, I think, in comparison to a lot of my um, American friends who were in sort of a more traditional American college experience with like keggers and bottles of vodka. Um, we were able to sit at the bar and say like, oh, that looks interesting. That looks interesting. Um, and a lot of bars were doing two for one cocktails that included things like uh, gin and tonics, which I did not like when it's made with Braille gin, um, but also Ryan gingers, which are very traditional Canadian mixed drink. Um, so that's sort of how I got into rye as a first instance of whiskey. Um, and then I was like, oh, this tastes good. I wonder what it tastes like by itself. Um, and that's sort of how I started exploring different whiskey expressions. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to New York that I got sort of into whiskey in a more nerdy way. Um, I 
after college, I lived in Europe for a few years and I didn't realize how much I missed the whiskey that I was getting used to in Canada until it wasn't available anymore. Um, Rome does not have a strong whiskey culture and you don't need it really. There's so much other delicious wine and, uh, you know, Aperol spritzes to drink over there. Um, but when I moved to New York, it was sort of the peak of the cocktail revival and speakeasy bar um, era. You know, all these bars were popping up everywhere and it just seemed like such a great way to get to know the city. Cool. Well, what is, what are your, some, some of your favorite whiskey bars in, in the city? Oh God, that's a good question. I guess it depends what neighborhood I'm in. Um, it's funny cause some of the earlier ones that I went to often, I actually don't go to that much anymore. That was like little brand, um, char number four, which I would go to all the time if it still existed. It's one of my absolute favorite whiskey bars. Um, what, what else is good? My absolute favorite, favorite whiskey bar in the entire city is on the rocks and hell's kitchen. Oh, I was going to yeah. ask you if you've ever, yeah, been it's like my favorite <laughs> bar. Well, I'm, I, so on the rocks, kind, I think they opened around the same time that I either moved to New York or was starting women who whiskey. Um, and so I started going at the very beginning. It's close to my office too, which is helpful. And I got to know the owner and the bartenders and it's, it's not my neighborhood watering hole because I don't live there, but it, if it could be, I would make it like, it's definitely the place where I go in and like nine times out of 10, I know the names of the people behind the bar. When Howie shows up, we always end up having a conversation and having too much whiskey on a weeknight. Um, so that's definitely my favorite, but there's great little hidden gems, I think in every neighborhood and not every whiskey bar has to be a whiskey bar. Tons of, you know, regular bars have an amazing whiskey selection and most bartenders were are happy to nerd out about it with you. <laughs> They're wonderful. And it's, it's tough to see what's happening to everyone now, you know, with all the doors are shut. It's one thing if you're doing takeout cocktails, but for a place like on the rocks, you know, what are you going to do? Take out drams. <laughs> it's a little harder. So, yeah, that's true. Actually, I read about Jack Rose in DC uh, doing that, selling drams to go and also even rare whiskey bottles to go just to, kind of keep their doors open during all this. Uh, but anyway, so Julia, uh, gentlemen are allowed to or encouraged to join the club as well, correct? Yes. So uh, gentlemen are encouraged to sign up. Some of our events are ladies only, or as we like to say, all ladies welcome, because it's not for us to decide who considers themselves to be a lady. So in that, in that sense, we're trying to be as inclusive as possible. Um, and then we do events that I sort of affectionately referred to as gentlemen's editions, where we either invite our guests to invite friends and family and partners or whatever, be the be they, you know, men or women. And we sometimes have events where we in, invite the gentlemen lists as well. So I would say about 25% of our events on average are co-ed. I think that's higher for some of the chapters who have found that, you know, a co-ed approach in general really works for them. I still think that there's a value in um, having a space where, you know, women can feel like they can learn and, you know, ask quote unquote stupid questions that they might not feel comfortable asking in an environment where there's a lot more mansplainers. And, you know, there's there's also something to be said about just the absence of men sometimes changes the dynamic in the room, even if it's not necessarily about being a, a female focused space. You know, there's a type of solidarity and just, you know, sisterhood that can grow out of that environment. Um, but it's not, we're not trying to be exclusive as a club. I think that that would defeat the purpose and the spirit with which we were founded, which is to make whiskey a more inclusive and educational space. Nice. 
Well, uh, any whiskeys in particular that uh, struck your fancy lately? Oh, that's also <laughs> a good question. I'm notorious for being completely unable to pick favorites. It's literally like even when someone says, what's your top five? I'll only pick four because the <laughs> idea of like locking in a fifth one <laughs> is like really anxiety <laughs> producing for me. Um, I tend to... I actually do rotate a lot. There's times when I am really in the mood for one thing and then I just kind of get over it. Initially, my I was drawn to rise. That was what I first started drinking. Um, I didn't always love the sort of sweet, the sweeter profile of bourbons, which traditionally women are told they should go for as an entry level, you know, as entry whiskeys. It's sweeter. You'll like it. Um, I really like the sort of uh, drier, astringent, spicy property that rye has, but it's a lot all the time. Um, on the sort of softer side of things, I have been um, really enjoying getting to know Irish whiskey a lot. I think it has so many different stories to tell, and it can be so different from whether it's like a, a very traditional mash bill and production to whether it's something like new and exciting, like what JJ Corey is doing right now with these like new and crazy, you know, barrel finishes and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of variety there. Out of all the categories, I would say scotch is one of the most interesting and yet one of the ones that I turn to the least when I'm drinking on my own, which is surprising to people because often whiskey lovers are, you know, I think there's a bit of a cachet for like knowing your scotches really well. And I do enjoy them. But when I'm at home by myself and I say, what am I going to drink tonight? It's usually not a scotch. <laughs> so we can go with like, um, I guess, whatever the last whiskey it is that you had. Um, what was the last whiskey that I had? I think it was Woodford Reserve. So I'll have to eat my words about bourbon. Um, they do have a rye. They do have a rye, but might... it wasn't what I was drinking. Um, I'm actually not sure. To be honest, in the recent weeks, I've been drinking a lot of spritzes. I haven't been reaching for the whiskey as often, but Woodford is a great fallback. I love it. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> Well, Julie, if uh, somebody wanted to join or even start their own chapter, how would they uh, go about that? We would love to have anybody join, men and women alike. Um, you can join through our website, which is womenwhowhiskey.club, C-L-U-B. Um, and there's a sign-up link for every single chapter. There's also a page where you can apply to start a chapter, and there's some more information about that. So we definitely encourage anybody who's interested in getting involved, either and sometimes even more in an informal capacity. So, you know, if you want to help out with events or if you're interested in getting into to know the industry a little bit better, happy to take on volunteers as well or just people who, who want to participate actively. Very cool. Yeah, I think you have an, an upcoming event, actually. Like we might want to mention that, right? So the last event that we we were supposed to do in person was the bottle release party for this um, Tuttletown Private Barrel Select, which was postponed indefinitely. Um, and then we took a little bit of time off, at least I did in New York. You know, I just had some other things going on and I wasn't really prepared to pivot into the digital space yet. I know that a lot of our chapters have been really actively doing virtual events since March even, but we were supposed to start this week in New York to do digital events. But in light of the, you know, Black Lives Matter protests and everything that's going on right now, we postpone the two events we were supposed to be doing this week to next week or later. Um, it just, it didn't feel like the right moment to jump in with a cocktail tutorial, but we do have a number of events over the next couple of weeks that will be virtual for the New York chapter. And there'll be a mix of things. Some will be tastings that will, um, you'll get a tasting kit, you know, for long and try all the same things. 
some of them will be more like bring what you have and we're going to you know learn how to make cocktails with it and i think we're just trying to explore a little bit more like how can we maintain that sense of community in a completely virtual world cognizant that people are exhausted you know after looking at the screen all day working remotely if that's the case for them that you know 2 hours of drinking into your computer might not be the best <laughs> and most fun way but also you know we heard from a lot of people that they were really missing the events and so we're trying to fill that gap in a way that is you know fun well it was a pleasure to meet you it was so good to meet you too yeah, sure thank you thank you bye take care well, there you go. Uh, maybe that's something you want to get involved in, a whiskey club. Or even uh, you could even make a whiskey club at your bar when we get back to work here. That's something we've actually talked about where I work. Uh, it's a private club where I work, but we were talking about making a whiskey club within the club and doing tastings every uh, so often and even trips or um, bringing brand ambassadors in, things like that. So it's a great way to spark new business and repeat business. So anyway, I wish you all health peace, and prosperity. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast.